0: Because we're just beginning, in fact, last week we just began a series on eternity. And I don't know where you're at in terms of your relationship with God, but I guarantee at some point you've asked the question, is there anything after this? Is there anything after this life and what's that like? And maybe you've thought, well, I don't really need to spend time thinking about that. It's unclear. Uh, I'll just kind of live my life right now. Here's the thing. The scriptures, which we take the scriptures seriously because Jesus took the scriptures seriously. And because Jesus actually rose from the dead, we believe that what he said is true. And in his word, in his love message to all of us, he has given clues and hints and direct messages about what eternity will be like. And the reality is if life here on earth at this time is so short and eternity is forever, we actually should be thinking about these things. And so I want to encourage you to be taking notes. There's some pens underneath your table if you haven't, or underneath your chairs. If you haven't already uh, spread those out, make sure you're taking notes because we want you to have incredible times in your small group. And maybe you've legitimately asked the question, why do we even talking about this? I mean, as Christians, does God really want us even focusing on this? Well, this is what Scripture says in Colossians 3, 1 to 2. But since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. And so God's love message to us says, hey, it is okay and it is good and it is right for you to think about higher things, for you to reflect on heaven, for you to be asking those kind of questions. In fact, Scripture says that God has set eternity in the human heart. And so the very fact that you have asked the question at some point or another, is there anything past this? What's next? You see, you didn't just arrive at that question by yourself. I believe that because you were made in the image of God, that question was burned into your heart. But the question you need to ask yourself is, well, where are you going for these answers? And are these answers solid ground to be standing on? In fact, maybe this quote will speak to you in a way where it might challenge you. Too often we've been taught that heaven is a non-physical realm, which cannot have real gardens, cities, kingdoms, buildings, banquets, or bodies. So we fail to take seriously what scripture tells us about heaven as a familiar, physical, tangible place. So last week, lastly, we asked the question, who is heaven for? That before we talk about what is heaven, which is what we're going to spend the rest of our six weeks talking about, we looked at who is heaven for. And we asked the question, is your life on a trajectory towards heaven, or is your life on a trajectory away from heaven? And we talked about the four signs that point towards a life that is on a trajectory towards spending eternity with Jesus, begins with admitting that we're sinners, that we're sinners, that we're broken, that God is sinless, that Jesus held nothing back to win us back. And that he's invited us to spend all of eternity with him if we would choose him. And you guys, what was so amazing is five students last Wednesday stood up to receive Christ for the very first time. I mean, it was incredible. Yeah, let's give it up to God. I mean, that was incredible (laughs) to to see God move in this place, to think that the beginning of our heaven series began with five more people going to spend eternity with God in heaven is absolutely incredible. And so since we know heaven is for those who are fully committed to Jesus, who admit that they're broken and need him, the next question that we want to deal with, and that's the question we're going to deal with tonight is, is heaven an actual place? I don't know what movies or TV shows you've seen or what your thoughts about heaven have been, but I wonder if you've asked this question, is heaven a real place? Is it like a state of mind? Is it like some kind of Zen or some kind of nirvana you arrive at? Scripture is actually very crystal clear about heaven being a very physical place. In fact... The way scripture describes it is there's sort of three stages to heaven and earth. And I get it, you guys. As we're going into this, we are diving deep theologically. And I know you guys can handle all this. And I know that even as I go through this series, there are going to be many more questions asked than we can answer. But we're just trying to scratch the surface here and set you guys up for some amazing small group discussions. But I want you to begin to think about things in maybe larger terms than you've thought of before as it pertains to heaven and as it pertains to earth. Scripture describes that there's three stages of heaven and earth. The first is the perfect earth. The second stage is fallen earth and a present heaven. And then the third and final stage is the new heaven and the new earth. And so tonight, we're going to look at each one of those and where we find them in the Scripture. So stage one, we are looking at the perfect earth. Earth. Follow along with me. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and he said to them, be fruitful. The first command in scripture is to make Children, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. God is saying, I have created a perfect earth for you. And you are my perfect creations. And all that you see, I want you to participate in. This word in the Hebrew, this word to rule and to subdue, literally means to take care of the thing that has been entrusted to you. And so God created the perfect earth. In fact, at this time, heaven and earth were one. God was walking in the garden, as we're going to see. And they had perfect relationship with God and perfect relationship with each other. Verse 29, And then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant food, uh, every, every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that He had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning. God looks out at everything that He has created. And he said, This is very good. This is just as I desire it to be. This is perfect. And so the history of the world, the story of the universe begins with God creating a perfect paradise for his people. And then it gets even more specific about his creation of us. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Okay, I need you to underline this part or write this part in your notes that in the garden, in the perfect paradise, in earth, perfect earth as God created it, there were two trees, two very specific trees. There were lots of other trees, but there were two very specific trees. There was the tree of life and there was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God gives a very specific command to his people. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So God says, there's there's this one tree in the garden, in this perfect place that I've created for you. There's this one tree that you cannot eat from. And you may have asked the question, why did God put it there? It's because he wanted you to choose him just like he chose us. And so in this earth that God has created, before the fall, before sin entered the story, there was a way out for humanity. There was a way out. And the crazy thing is, God has given that to every single one of us, right? I mean, God chooses us, but he doesn't force us to love him. God woos us and expresses his immense sacrificial love for us, but is not going to coerce you or manipulate you or try to abuse you into his love. No, no, he wants you to freely choose him. And you see in this picture, in this picture that's painted in scripture of heaven and earth, we find that they're one. Randy Alcorn, who is uh, the author of this book, Heaven, that we've been using to create this series, he writes this, we should stop thinking of heaven and earth as opposites and instead view them as overlapping circles that share certain commonalities. So God is in the garden with his people and there's perfect relationship between all of creation, between God, between humanity. But then all of a sudden, Stage two begins. And you've got to think about stage one as heaven and earth are one. They're connected. There's no separation between them. Heaven isn't somewhere out there, and earth down here, there's no separation between them. But then we enter into stage two. Stage two is fallen earth and present heaven. Let's first talk about fallen earth. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Why did they do this? Because they ate from the tree that he told them not to eat from. They rebelled against him. They sinned just like we sin. They they dethroned God and put themselves in his place. And so all of a sudden they do what we always do when we sin, when we run away from God. They ran as well. They hid among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And then the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. You see, this is like the first major fallout of sin. Adam didn't own his role at this part. He blamed. And isn't this what we do? I mean, this is what I do all the time. I justify my sin, I blame other people, I look at my circumstances, and I go, man, because of what I'm going through, it's okay that I do X, Y, and Z? I mean, the script has been written for us since day one, we follow it over and over and over again, we try to justify our sin. And what happens is God pronounces a reality that he had promised would happen if they would rebel against him. If they would reject him, he said, this will happen. And what happens, God says, because you have done this, broken relationship with creation. That all of a sudden, humanity and animals and creation, there's a broken relationship, there's an animosity between us. There's a broken relationship with each other. In fact, he looks at the woman and he says, now childbirth pains are going to be very severe. And, and, and you're going to desire to rule over your husband and he's going to rule over you. And remember, when God created the first marriage between Adam and Eve, he said, you will be one. There will be mutual submission. There will be serving each other. There will be dying to yourself and becoming one. And yet, what happened when we entered into the state of fallen earth, no longer perfect earth, is we started to try to rule over each other. We started to try to have power struggles over one another, to dominate one another, to abuse and exploit each other for our own gain. That is a byproduct of fallen earth, of the sin that we live in. And then most of all, it broke our relationship with God. And so this is what happens. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. Notice what God does here. The very first thing God does is he responds to sin by showing grace. He literally kills an animal to sacrifice so that Adam and Eve who feel naked and ashamed would be clothed. So from the very beginning, God has not chosen to run away from a broken earth that even though at this moment, at the moment that sin entered the story of the world, heaven and earth that were formerly one, all of a sudden begin to become two separate entities. And all of a sudden there's this giant chasm. It's the reason that as you and I walk around and live our lives now, there's all kinds of pain and brokenness. There's sin. There's other people's hurt spilling over into our lives and our hurt spilling over into other people's lives because we live in this fallen earth because there's this disconnect between us and heaven, between us and God. And then the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Forever. So there's something in this ancient story about this tree of life. That's a very physical, real tree that represents living for all of eternity with God. And God says, because the state of humanity, the state of the world is fallen, we can't allow this to exist for all of eternity. And so the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. So what God did at this point is made it impossible for us to live forever here in the fallen earth. In the next chapter of this story, in Genesis chapter 4, we see the first murder. It's actually between Adam and Eve's kids. There's this guy named Cain and Abel, and Cain murders Abel. You see, this fallen earth just continues. God created order, and he created beauty, and he created safety and structure and love and service to one another, and the opportunity to enjoy him perfectly and enjoy others perfectly in perfect community. And yet our sin fractured that And took us into a state of fallenness. And this fallenness, this fallenness will not remain forever. God's desire is not that we would just continue to live eternally in this fallen state. And it's made clear in 2 Peter when it says, For by the same word, the present heavens, the present heavens, so he's talking about the stars at this point, the cosmos, the universe, and earth are reserved for fire being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. And so let me pause here for a second and explain what he's talking about. Biblically, the story that's told is that when every single one of us dies, that's what's called the first death. So every one of us will go through the first death. But after that first death, there is a judgment, which will determine whether we die again, the second death, whether we spend all of eternity separated from God, or whether we live forever with Jesus in heaven with community. And so what he's talking about right here is he's talking about that judgment day. That judgment day will result in all of this being ultimately destroyed. He continues... But do do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Some people at this time, and even in our time, maybe you look around and you go, God, how long? Like, how long are you gonna keep letting destruction and pain and evil happen? How long, Lord, why do you allow that to happen? Here's why. Instead, God is patient with you Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. What Peter is saying here is he's saying, you guys, I know things are jacked up and broken and hurt and there's pain all over the place. Why does God allow it? Because God's heart is breaking for lost people. Now for any of you in this room who don't right now have a relationship with Jesus... Scripture says the reason he hasn't just destroyed everything is because of you. I mean, to think about that for a minute. That right now, if you're in this room and you don't know Jesus, you are so welcome in this place and we're glad you're here, but scripture clearly teaches that God's heart is for you so much so that he's holding back the destruction of all things. He's holding back the renewal of all things because he so desperately wants you to be with because he so desperately wants you to be in relationship with him, and so he is patient because he cares about you. And Peter says, but there is a day coming where there will be a new heaven and a new earth, where none of this pain and shame and sin will rotten and ruin and spoil all that God has created. So right now we live in this fallen earth. But some of you are asking, well, what about people who love Jesus and die? Like, what happens to them? Well, Scripture gives us some clues. And and some of what I'm about to talk about right now may be like, I've literally never heard that, Eric. That's just so bizarre. I'm just going to ask you to go there with me for a second. Because I think Scripture is pretty clear. And the more I study, the more I read about it, this is not just my own thoughts. These are scholars from all around the world who have looked at these texts and believe that this is what God is trying to tell us. That though right now we live in a fallen earth, that there also exists what we're going to call a present heaven. Now this is different than the new heaven and the new earth that we will live in for forever. In fact, scholars use the term intermediate heaven. So this is the intermediate, this is the present heaven that exists. And and maybe you're going, man, where is the scriptural evidence for that? I want to look at one passage with you and talk about seven different qualities that describe this present earth and or this this present heaven revelation chapter 6 verse 9 so this is uh there's this guy named John who was close with Jesus and he gets banished to this island by himself and Jesus speaks to him and gives him a message for the church a message to encourage the whole church and in this message, it begins to talk about what is actually going on in the spiritual realm beyond what we can just physically see right now. And I get it, even as I'm talking about some of this stuff, you're going, Eric, I, I just, I, I mean, I, I believe the chair's here, I believe this is here, it's easy to see those things, but what, all this is, I get it, I get it. But I'm going to ask you to just go there for a second with me, because every single one of you has a burning desire within you to believe that there's something more than just right now. And I don't think that's just some evolutionary process that brought you to that way of thinking. I think that was planted in you by God. And so as John is writing his picture of what he's seeing before the new heaven and new earth, before Jesus returns, this is what he experienced When he opened the fifth seal and I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, how long sovereign Lord, holy and true until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood then each of them was given a white robe and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants their brothers and sisters were killed just as they had been so go with me here for a second john is experiencing this vision of what is currently going on in the present heaven before jesus returns this is before jesus returns And here's the seven things, just seven, and there's a lot more that you could find. Here's just seven I want to highlight for us that we learn about this present heaven. So if you're asking, man, where are people who love Jesus right now? Like, what is happening? What is that looking like? Here's a few sort of qualities of what that present heaven is like right now as we speak. The first one is this, is that when Christians die, they immediately relocate to heaven. That when a Christian dies, they immediately relocate to heaven. Think about that story in Luke chapter 23 where Jesus is dying on a cross and there's a sinner, a thief next to him. And Jesus looks at him and he says, Today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus doesn't say in a long time you'll be with me, he says, Today you will be with me in paradise. And so when a Christian dies, they immediately relocate to this present heaven. Number two, that in this present heaven, these people that we are people we love, we know those of us that will die before Jesus comes back again, we don't know when that will be. This is what we know to be true, is that they are intelligent, they are emotional, and they are self-expressive. You see, these souls that he's talking about, these people, they were aware of what's going on, There was emotions within them, so they're feeling emotions, and they're able to express themselves. The third thing we discover is that they are able to talk with God, and they're able to learn new things. See, they had a question for God. They asked him, and they waited to hear the response from God. And so some of us have thought, man. As soon as I die, like all of a sudden I end up in heaven, and I'm like trivia king. You know what I mean? Like I just know everything. I've got all the facts up here. It's like, you know, when was Abraham Lincoln born? I don't know. Whatever that is. Whatever that is. Right? You just think you know all these things. Well, scripture, scripture seems to imply that when you are in the present heaven, that you're asking questions and that you don't know everything, but that you're able to talk with God. Maybe some of you have worried, man. If I'm in a relationship with Jesus and I die, am I just like literally sitting like in some like coffin by myself? Anybody, is that like the worst fear of your life right now, like getting buried alive? Anyone else have dreams about that? You guys, no joke, I have dreams of getting buried alive. That's weird, right? I just, I get so scared of it. I, and maybe some of you are like, man, is that what I'm going to do for like a thousand, a million, like however long it is, like years? Am I just going to sit there and like wait? Well, scripture says that you're able to talk with God. That you're able to ask him questions. Number four, that we will know what's happening on earth. That people that are in the present heaven, that once they die, they know what's happening on earth. That as these souls are looking out on earth, they see what's going on, and there's an awareness of what's going on. Next, they are unified in their voice. So there's this sense of community, right? It says that there's multiple souls but then it says, in, in one voice, they together cry out. So there's this unity, there's this community, but there's also this individual uniqueness. So you still remain a unique person, and yet you are in some kind of unified community. Another question that we've wrestled with is, will we have, that, will we have like a body in the present heaven? And I'm I'm honest, guys, I'm telling you, like, some of this stuff is, like, way out there, and I'm still learning it with you guys. But what's interesting about this passage is the Lord gives them a robe. Can a soul wear a robe? How how does a soul wear a robe? And so this may not be the, the eternal body, the new heaven, new earth, resurrected body that God has for you, but there's a potential, at least, based on what Scripture says, that you have some kind of body. And then lastly, earth and heaven have a direct connection. That there is this connection from the present heaven perspective where they see their brothers and sisters struggling Hurting and wondering how long are you going to allow this to happen, that there is an awareness of what is going on. Randy Alcorn says it this way, those on earth may be ignorant of heaven, but those in heaven are not ignorant of earth. And so guys, as we jump into our final one, we began with this perfect earth, that heaven and earth were one, and then there's this fallen earth and yet present heaven that we just talked about. And yet, that's not the eternal heaven. That's not God's end game plan. In fact, God has this dream of a new heaven and a new earth. In 1 Thessalonians, it says this, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, he who, or we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the lord forever now it's verses like this that get taken out of context that make people feel like oh so this means like heaven is up in the air somewhere right like we're just kind of floating up there what this does teach is that jesus comes back for us and yes he does take us that we meet him in the air somewhere but the passage says that we will be with the lord forever it doesn't say that we will be in the air with the lord forever the point is that we will be with the Lord forever. This movement upwards into the heavens, into the clouds, is actually temporary, and it's later described what happens next in Revelation. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. So this kind of goes back to that Second Peter passage that was describing the destruction of this current fallen earth that we live in. It's so destroyed that there's not even a sea. And yet, the vision and revelation of what God is going to do involves a new heaven and a new earth. And listen to how it's described. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. This is actually describing the people of God. And so just as in Thessalonians, it says that we will join him in the clouds and we will be with him forever. As Revelation describes the final chapter, like the final note in God's orchestra involves us coming down and i heard a voice from the throne saying look god's dwelling place is now among this among his the people and he will dwell with them they will be his people and god himself will be with them and be their god he will wipe every tear from their eyes there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away and so this new heaven and this new earth are once again perfectly in sync with each other but there's no pain there's no sin. There's no shame. Randy Alcorn says it this way, the eternal heaven will one day be centered on the new earth. And to picture it, you don't need to look up at the clouds. You simply need to look around you and imagine what all this would be like without sin and death and suffering and corruption. And for our last scripture, I want you to remember the scripture we opened with. where in the Garden of Eden, in the perfect earth, there was two trees There was the tree of life, and there was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In the final chapter of Revelation, it says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life. So heaven is not this kind of weird, mysterious, cloudy place. It involves, has within it, the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. They will, there will no longer be night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. And so God's picture of this new heaven and this new earth looks like you and I serving him. Looks like you and I seeing him. And then it looks like you and I reigning. And some of you are wondering, what does that even mean? Well, Randy says that the climax of history will be the creation of the new heaven and the new earth, a resurrected universe inhabited by resurrected people living with a resurrected Jesus. What does that even mean? What does that look like? Well, we're going to spend the rest of our series diving into those questions and more. And next week, we're going to talk about will we have bodies in heaven? What will our bodies be like? What does that mean? We'll be talking about that next week. At the end of your outline is the questions for your small group time. Let me pray, and then we're going to head out. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this conversation on heaven. I recognize even as I'm trying to describe this eternal reality that I don't fully comprehend, I'm struggling for the right words, Lord. But I thank you that your scripture writes this roadmap for us, that there was a perfect earth that our sin created a fallen earth that that formed this chasm, this gap between us and eternity and heaven, and yet there currently exists a present heaven. But I thank you, God, that you're not done with your story yet, that one day you will create a new earth and a new heaven, and we will live in it with you, with each other who love Christ, serving you, seeing you, and reigning with you. God, I pray that these truths would increase our faith and our passion to invite as many as we can to live this story with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you're brand new with us, if you're